front. We're going. Good morning. This is Michael Vandervoort, and it is uh, we're recording on June 8th. I'm not sure exactly when the show will post sometime a couple days from now, probably. But we are speaking to Rebecca Ray from the conference board. Rebecca, welcome to back to Drive Through HR. You were a guest a while back, and we had a great conversation. How are you today? I'm doing well, Mike, and thanks uh, very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to join you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, uh, Robin and I did a show with you, uh, like I said, about a year ago, and we we really loved uh, having you as a guest. So I was excited when we had the opportunity to uh, get together and talk again. I, I think today um, we started trying to get the show put together a few, a few weeks back, and it just schedules have made things difficult, which I think is probably apropos to the topic we're going to try to cover today, which is a bit about the evolving role of the CHRO, um, and especially as it pertains to dealing with crisis management or responding to crises in HR, which seem to come along every few days. There's plenty of opportunities these days. And we, we in the pre-show, we talked about the war on Ukraine and we talked about the pandemic and we talked about you know a few other things. So I know you guys have done some research. So but before we go down that rabbit hole, Rebecca, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do at the conference board? Sure. Well, you know, I'm going to try to avoid speaking about the very early years in the log cabin. So I'll just tell you, <laughs> you know, at, at the moment, um, I have the privilege of leading the uh, Human Capital Center uh, for the conference board. And in my role, uh, I'm looking to ensure that we do uh, everything we can to support our member companies. And we are the world's, I think, oldest and perhaps most prestigious uh, business think tank in support of our member organizations. And so I try to make sure that we have the human capital related offerings and content and insights and opportunities uh, that our members tell us that they need. So um, my, my background is uh, having come up the, the, the ranks in uh, chief learning or chief talent officer roles and spend, uh, spend quite a bit of time on, on Wall Street firms. I did a, uh, about a decade of consulting and uh, taught at some wonderful uh, institutions, including Oxford and NYU. And um, you know, I, I just I just hope that uh, the work that we do is is helpful. I know when I was coming through, I never met a good idea I didn't try to do something with, and so I'm very grateful for that, and and very pleased to be uh, having an opportunity to share some of those things with you, and and appreciate the opportunity to speak with your audience. Likewise, um, I've always been impressed with the research the conference board does, and you know we're happy to be able to tap into that expertise from time to time. So we appreciate the uh, the relationship with you guys and uh, the opportunity to help educate some of our listeners. Um, so so let's 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 roll back for a second. As I said, we're um, we're going to talk a bit about the the evolving role of a CHRO. Um, or you know, human resources partners, along with C-suite colleagues and board of directors, as they, I, I think, I think the word struggle is apropos, as 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 they they really struggle right now with sort of a, a, a you know, as you called it earlier, a black swan event, uh, you know, that seems that seems to come along on a on a fairly regular basis these days. You know, it used to be once a year or something, we, we had a, a major issue. And just in the last two years, it just feels like we've been overrun with one thing after another. I mean, we have monkeypox looming, whatever that is now, you know? And so I, I, and companies, you know, companies are struggling, I think, uh, and I'll ask my first question in a second is gonna be like, what are you seeing? But here's just sort of my anecdotal observations on it is that my company faces this kind of stuff as do lots of other employers, but it's not just sort of like, Un, uh, 
you know, events that are coming up over the horizon, but it's also there's there's a, 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 an issue around discourse in our society. And I think a growing expectation, you know, the whole woke versus not woke company kind of thing. And, you know, I think there's, you know, companies are challenged by communications on many levels. And, and you know, and I, I guess the CHROs kind of look, look to as, as the person that would lead that, the company at, to some extent down that path. So you guys have looked into this issue. So why don't you give us a high level overview from the conference board research and kind of tell us what you're seeing to start, Rebecca. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there, Mike. So I'm gonna try and forgive me if I miss a couple of- No worries, I know it's, it's a kitchen sink question right out of the gate, sorry. But that, that's okay. Well, it does give me a lot of room to roam, so thank you. You know, um, to your point about black swan events, you know, it used to be you had this once in a hundred year event that, you know, it was a massive flood or it was whatever it was. We tend to have them regularly now. And I think that the challenge is the sheer exhaustion that our profession in particular feels. And, and I wanna say many people uh, across the US and around the world, they were impacted and some in deeply personal ways and some perhaps less so, but nevertheless, I think we are changed as a society, certainly in the United States. I also think our profession has changed. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's, let's be candid at the beginning of the onslaught of, of COVID, you know, as we watched it impact colleagues who might be working in Asia and then later Europe and then into the US. And we, we watched these successive waves of impact. We asked uh, the folks uh, in the CHRO role to become sort of a lot of things, a chief medical officer to understand COVID and to understand epidemiology, to understand safety in the workplace, to try to hold together people who are in many cases, doing the best they can under different circumstances than they might have been accustomed to. You know, certainly there were many who could not work remotely and were on the front line and at greater risk. Many were uh, able to work remotely, myself being one of them, and, and I count that as, as a privilege, but nevertheless, it was very isolating for many people. And it's, it's not that we didn't continue to be productive and that we didn't continue to be uh, effective in our roles and still fulfill on the uh, corporate mission. But people were doing these things against a backdrop of their own challenges mm. of, of loved ones in, in many cases, you know, uh, challenges, childcare, which is, we saw the fissures in the system on that. Uh, also in, in healthcare, we also saw people who were trying to juggle, you know, both providing care for others in their family or loved ones, as mm -hmm. well as holding onto a job. Now I I happen to be talking to you from a, you know, pretty good setup here. I am all set up to be remote, uh, but not everyone has that uh, opportunity. And some people were trying to juggle, you know, wandering toddlers into a screenshot on the, at the edge of a, of a kitchen island, hoping that they could keep it all intact. And they're right. also worried about their own personal safety, about food insecurity. I mean, and then we had, you know, successive waves of social unrest. Then we have economic crises. We now have a, a good run at, at inflation. We have some people in our profession who were very directly impacted uh, trying to care for employees who might have been in Ukraine or in neighboring countries. And so, you know, we, we've asked an awful lot of CHROs and by extension, their teams. And I, I've always remembered, you know, when you used to be preparing for a flight, they tell you to put your own mask on first before you try to help others. So we now have an awful lot of people who have been so other-centered for a couple of years now. Um, I'm not sure there's an awful lot for some people to still be able to give. You have seen some of the, 
announcements on LinkedIn or other social media platforms talking about their decision to step away mm -hmm. or to step down or to re or to retire. And, and I think that's a function of, I mean, some of those things would naturally happen, I understand, but some people specifically spoke about their choice to step down because they needed to recharge and, and rejuvenate themselves and then step back in. I think that's a very brave thing because if you can't find a way to, to care for yourself, you're of little worth to others. You just, you just can't, no human being can be expected to do that. So, I mean, that's, that's the concern I have for, for the profession. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, if you're a professional athlete, you train, you train, you train, and then you have the, the competition and then there's the recovery period and you're sort of downtime and then you start gearing up again for the next one. Well, that's not what happens. We in this profession have had one successive wave that hasn't even run its whole course and another one starts up. So it's, it's this compounding effect of the many, many things that CHROs and their teams are expected to do. And that uh, has been, I think, a crucible moment uh, in our profession these last couple of years. Yeah, I, you know, I, yes, like I said, anecdotally, I see the same thing. LinkedIn announcements all the time. I'm a moderator on a relatively large uh, HR forum on Facebook and over and over and over again, we get people coming in there to vent, to beg for help because they just don't know what to do. They're, you know, they're, they're, they had one crisis too many and they don't have the, the knowledge uh, to, to, like, they just don't know what to do or they don't have the bandwidth to, to figure out how to go do the research to solve the problem in the way they normally would. Um, and just to your point, some of them just have hit a wall and, and can't do it anymore. And so they're leaving the profession or stepping away from the profession. Um, and really, you know, at a time when companies have enough economic uncertainty, another kind of 30,000 foot issue, that they're probably not going to add a lot of resources into the HR department right now, you know, or bring on new people or split roles. So, so, so we're in a very, very dramatic, high pressure situation. What, what, what can, what can companies do and how can, how can CHROs handle this, Rebecca? What, what, what do you guys kind of see as, I don't know if the solutions is the right word, but what do you, what do you, how do you see people moving forward and navigating these choppy waters? Sure. Well, I, I do think that, you know, professional networking and support is is critical. And, you know, we're um, pleased to be able to offer a lot of those networking opportunities and, you know, the peer um, executive meetings that we call, mm -hmm. councils, you know, those kinds of things. That for me, when I was coming through to sit with my peers from other organizations who have similar challenges, a, a wonderful thing. So a lot of CHROs, find that helpful. We do a lot of support for them and their teams on a personal basis, you know, whether that's insights or briefings or support or a variety of things. But I think what's compounded a lot of this is that there was no playbook for a lot of what people were expected to address. Mm -hmm. You know, when in years past, you say, okay, I have a, I have a, a merger. Okay. So we, we kind of know the playbook for that. I have to, you know, conduct a reduction in force. We know what that looks like. I have to prepare for this you know, meeting with the board. I mean, even smaller things like that. We, there's a playbook for that. But we don't have that for a lot of the things that people are expected to do when they did it on the fly, which in and of itself is very stressful. So what to do? I think, first of all, is to acknowledge where you are. Secondly, is to partner with those people who can help deliver. And I think expecting HR, and I'll speak more broadly, and, and the CHRO in particular, 
to solve a lot of the organizational challenges is a losing proposition. Mm -hmm. You have to enlist managers. So for example, we have a labor uh, shortage now in, in many cases. I mean, look, we've always had labor shortages in certain areas, you know, engineers, mining, you know, they've been tough to find tuck, truck drivers. We, we, we've always had certain areas where you just knew it was harder to find good talent. I get it. But now we have, you know, this great resignation, great reset, great reimagining, great reshuffle, great mm -hmm. regret. Use the R word that you like, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you've got an awful lot of people who are on the move. And it's when you peel it back, um, you know, you had very little movement in 2020. And so you start to see the pent up movement that would have otherwise been there start to play itself out with the regular 2021, uh, you know, reshuffling. And a lot of it is driven by those who are millennials. And it makes a lot of sense. Those are people who, it, given their life stage, that's exactly what, you, what you'd expect. Mm -hmm. But the media, I think, kind of grabbed this and, and ran with it. But I think uh, what we need to do is to figure out how we make our managers more empathetic, how we improve the employee uh, value proposition, how we look at the employee experience as this portfolio of things. And I think we're going to see over time the HR function led by a strong CHRO. Think about what does it mean to work here? How flexible can we be? How accommodating can we be? How great can our managers be? Can we make them empathetic leaders? And it's, it's not like, you know, we're just going to add water and managers are going to all of a sudden become empathetic. And I think many, many were during all of this and still continue to be. But we have to support our managers. I mean, imagine, you know, we have people in our profession who, who are exhausted. So are those managers. Mm -hmm. You know, not only did they have their own stuff going on, but they had deliverables. And meanwhile, they're trying to walk people in from a limb because they're going through all kinds of things on their team. And, and to try to hold all, to, all that together, they're exhausted. And we know middle managers have pretty much always been one of the most stressful management positions to begin with, because you're getting it from all sides. Mm -hmm. So how do we support our managers? How do we make it okay for them to say, this is a problem that so-and-so has on my team that I, I don't know how to address it, but how do I marshal the assets of the firm? How do I help and support them? And it isn't, here's the EAP number and you know let me know if you can get through. So- yeah. We've, we've got a lot of managers that need help. And I think we need to perhaps give each other permission in a way that maybe before all of this happened, we would never have dreamed of sharing some of our mental health uh, challenges, for example, or that we're burnt out or that we're exhausted or you know fill in the blank. And not being able to talk about that and not being able to sort of think about how do we support that? How do we address this? Um, that's a development that I think might be positive because mm -hmm. just knowing that you're not alone and feeling that way can be wildly positive. And I think we need that as a HR profession, but managers need that, employees need that. And so that may be one of the silver linings in this, if that's possible to identify. Yeah, uh, I know that I, you know, in, in my day-to-day -day work, um, I've been paying a lot of attention to the impact of, you mentioned millennials, um, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, I would, I would, I would also add Gen Z, which at least in some companies, Starbucks primarily is the one I pay attention to, um, and their union organizing that's going on in, in that company. Gen Z workers are driving a tremendous uh, change in the in the workforce as well. I think you know whether it'll 
well, it'll stick because they're the growing generational cohort along with millennials. Um, it'll stick, but the, their, their expectations of what companies should be doing and how they should be managing their business and how much voice the, the workers should have and all sorts of really interesting um, points of view are being pushed very hard right now. And it's another challenge because we have, you know, our leadership, to your point, maybe the generational, uh, the managers maybe of a different generation with, with some quite different um, viewpoints on how, what work means and what, what kind of the obligation it, you have to your company. And so that you, you've got, a, I think, another huge, quiet kind of unfurling problem that CHROs have to learn how to manage is that the, the, what employees expect from their employers is a lot different these days in many ways. And I, I don't know if you guys are seeing any of that in your research. Be interested if you, if you had comments there. Oh yeah, so, so for sure. And, and I do think that um, one of the things that we need to be mindful of with the Gen Z is that you know they're earlier in career, clearly. And they, I think, haven't had the what was to mm -hmm. compare the here's where we are now, phase two. And, uh, but I also want to say that I think every generation makes an imprint in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So for example, you look at the boomers, okay? They're, you know, not as many left in the, in, in the workplace, that's for sure. Right. You know, they were at the forefront of equal pay, of women in the workplace, of minorities, of uh, people with disabilities, and a variety of things that really shook up, um, you know, made flatter, flatter organizational structures, more egalitarian, you know, so, so I think, um, and the Gen, the Gen Xers sort of solidified many of those gains, but I think every generation sort of stands on the shoulders of the one before to make mm -hmm. a better workplace. But I, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, the, we have to be thoughtful about the fact that most of these Gen Z came into a period of turmoil. And some, as we know, were hired as remote workers. They've never met in person, some of their colleagues. And so, you know, for them, it's it's an opportunity, I think, to, to they're going to have to work harder, probably to forge some of those bonds, as opposed to those of us who, you know, might have been good friends or good colleagues with a lot of people. And we can kind of coast on that, if you will, if they're in a remote setting, right? right. I, I do think that um, for, for a lot of this generation in the workplace, it's really going to be about explain to me why I have to go to the office. My productivity is high. I'm delivering good results. I've figured out a way to, to balance, you know, my professional and personal life, which is the thing we always talked about, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a new concept, but people were able to do it now in many cases because of the flexibility, even in places that are like, you know, a manufacturing plant or places where, you know, you, you have to go, uh, you have to show up in person or you're working in a healthcare setting or a variety of things. And you know what we're finding is a lot of companies are going to the teams and talking about uh, the team's approach to making sure that the shifts happen, that the work gets done, that we meet production goals or whatever the, you know, whatever the parameters are. And when teams feel as though they have had some input into creating the work environment, it's even if they can't do everything they might like to do, uh, because certainly in, in some settings there are constraints, it feels much more like a team commitment to each other because they will have talked about what, what people need on a, on a regular basis. And does that look like, you know, sharing a shift, sharing a job? Does that look like flexible scheduling? You know, how else could we think about this? Now, having said that, 
you're going to have an awful lot of companies make a much faster shift just the way with, you know, if you thought you were on a journey with digital transformation, well, COVID helped you zoom right along. So we're on a journey now uh, in terms of upending most HR functions. Mm-hmm. You're going to see more hiring. I mean, I know you know this, but, you know, you're going to see more hiring um, of, of people on a, on a contractual basis or a gig basis, if you will, based on skill sets that are desired, as opposed to a job profile. You're going to see, uh, and that naturally upends the talent acquisition process. Think about the onboarding, the development of people, performance management, um, you know, succession. I mean, this is just going to blow a big hole in just about everything. Imagine workforce uh, planning in the old days. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's a little different now too. So I think we really need to be thoughtful about how can we support the business. But how can we do it so that we can attract and retain the talent we need? Because I do know this from every piece of research that we do. People, we, we did one not too long ago on people who uh, left uh, voluntarily their organization during the uh, during the pandemic. We asked them why. And in, you know, in fairness, it's always money and development of the two that are cited, whether or not that's always true or that's what you say during an exit. But during this survey, that's what they told us. But it was also about flexibility. It was about being able to put your life together in a way that doesn't make you insane and feel like you have to check your soul by the door. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's I think there's some of that, but that also means you know all those great tech tools that you finally got after you got approval from probably you know six layers above you, and you now have Workday or uh, any other great system that you've got that's implemented. Okay, so those systems have to be flexible enough to support what the business needs to do to be flexible enough to attract talent. So I think there's this whole chain of impact that we have not even yet begun to uncover. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, we, as always, since we said we're going to try to stick to about 30 minutes, the, the conversation is going fast and furious. So you, you guys had sent over um, some bullet points that I wanted to kind of run down through because the, to me, this may not be a playbook, but you had mentioned playbooks earlier that, and that we didn't have one. But I, I think some of these um, bullet point um, concepts that you, that you guys listed out, um, you know, and as part of prepping for the show, kind of help will kind of help guide our listeners towards what should a CHRO be looking at and thinking about in this new environment. So the first one is um, the ability to work closely with with your board of directors. Mm -hmm. Um, So can we start there and talk about managing human capital, you know, with your board of directors as a CHRO? What's important there? Sure. So let me um, back up just just a little bit. I think you know the, the board's role in human capital oversight has has been with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know the board composition is such that in some organizations that oversight role is shared, and in other times it's just part of the comp committee. The, you know it could be a, a variety of things, but I think that the board understands that there is a perhaps much larger. Um, aperture on human capital than what has been traditionally perhaps comp or CEO succession. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a variety of, of stakeholders that a board needs to be mindful of. And so they're going to be looking at human capital, uh, the function, and certainly the CHRO uh, himself or herself. And they're going to be thinking about how are we presenting or how are we telling our human capital narrative so that it uh, attracts talent, 
It um, addresses the concerns of the community uh, that we serve. It addresses the needs of uh, stakeholders, customers, consumers, shareholders. You know, how are we articulating why this is a great place to work or why you can come here and build your career? And this is a great place to start. Mm. So, you know, there's there's that. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily new, although I think more people are on board with that than perhaps in the past. But, you know, you can see it coming down the tracks. You can see that, uh, at least for publicly traded companies, the SEC will be um, uh, giving more guidance on disclosure uh, and what is material to disclose in an organization and another. And in the past, it's been, you know, relatively minor, whether that was the you know, the ratio of CEO pay to median worker, or it was the number of employees, or it was CEO pay, that sort of thing. So that's not new, but I think that we are going to be given a much broader set of disclosure metrics. And certainly you'll have to comply with that on your 10K or, you know, however you want to slice that up. But I do think that there's something about shaping the larger narrative which has to be done in line with many things, certainly with the board, but also with other C-suite colleagues, so that your chief marketing officer is looking at the articulation of that narrative at the same time that the CHRO is looking at the, the brand proposition to attract new candidates. Also to think about investor relations and how are these things judged? Now, some people listening to this might say, well, we're not publicly traded. I think that's not quite right. Um, you might not be, but the marketplace in terms of consumers, and we know we have changing demographics, at least in many parts of the world, the question is not, are you publicly traded? The question is, how are you presenting yourself to a variety of stakeholders? Right. And, and so eventually people will begin to take a look at a great place to work or best companies for mothers or millennials or whatever it might be. And they're going to be using much of the same kind of approach to telling a narrative and telling a good story. And the CHRO is at the center of that. <clears throat> yeah, you are um, you're spot on as it relates to private employers, because I work for one. And I mean, this stuff is, it, this is all at the forefront for us right now with, you know, without going into too much depth. I mean, we, sure. brand value, employee value proposition, great place, all that stuff is, is right up at the top of our, of our work list. Um, Something that we talk about all the time as well, so it's not new, but but it it's it seems to deserve even more consideration in in these tougher times is culture, strong culture. So let's talk about how culture and CHROs work together for a minute. So there's a lot to be said for making sure that the uh, the brand promise that you extend to prospects and uh, potential candidates is matched by the reality once they get there. Because what you don't want is a revolving door, right? The, the, the problem is you can't fix culture by working directly on it. Culture is, is sort of the net result of everything leaders do or fail to do. And every culture um, is, you know, we all have worked in organizations where, you know, the, the, the values or the precepts are, you know, mounted on a marble plaque somewhere. Um, and then there's the culture as it's really experienced by employees. So HR will, will increasingly become sort of the keepers of that culture. And I don't, I don't say that meaning they have to influence, but they have to be thoughtful about, do we have fair managers? Do we have effective managers who coach and develop and honor people? Is it a fair and inclusive environment? Is it the kind of place where anyone, regardless of the 
the background or, or you know, how they may show up in a particular food group, do they have the equal access to opportunity? Are, are people fairly paid? I mean, all those things that when you add it all up, you get, you get a, a, a net result of a culture where someone feels, I belong here. I align with this organization, I belong here. Because if you can't get to that, you're not gonna have engaged employees. And we know engagement levels is one of the high drivers of innovation. And I know every CEO will tell you, you know, innovation is gonna fuel growth. That's great. Let's get to an innovative culture because your people are engaged. They feel they're treated fairly. There's no disconnect between what senior leaders say and what they do. And they feel as though the company has a strong and positive future. I mean, I don't think too many employees want to hitch their wagon to a broken, you know, broken star. So I, I think that's going to be increasingly more important. And right now, the pendulum has swung. Uh, prospects and uh, you know, candidates have a little bit more power. You mm -hmm. uh, can negotiate a little bit better. They can get the kinds of flexibility uh, allotments that uh, might not have been in the past. That pendulum will swing. It never goes all the way back, but it, you know, it, it will it will dissipate. And particularly as companies perhaps face a recession and they have to let some folks go. And then this is going to be, you know, interesting to watch. But I do think that people will leave. They're telling us that they will leave or that they did leave because of a lack of flexibility for feeling as though they, they were asked to come into a workplace. Let's assume for a moment they're not on the front lines and it's a remote situation, but asked to come in to a place where it doesn't make sense to them. You know, you still have indoor mask mandates in New York City, for example. So you're asking employees to come in, fight crime in the city, wear a mask indoors, get on a Zoom call and talk to a client in a mask. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me that that makes a lot of sense to you. <laughs> nope. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but, that, but that's how it is. I mean, we need to think about a reason to go into the workplace. If we think about it as, you know, the way we used to think about it as an offsite, right? There was a reason to go. We knew it was going to be covered. We knew what the outcomes were. We knew why the outcomes were important. We had both social and probably developmental and probably business reasons for being there. It was, it was carefully thought out. That makes a lot more sense to me as opposed to everybody's going to be back in on date X. People are just walking with their feet. And if you're in a scramble for talent, let's just think about why would we, why would we set ourselves up that way? And there are many good reasons to be back in the office, building collegial relationships, meeting with your team, getting, getting development being part of a product launch, uh, the social networking, all good reasons. But let's articulate those. Let's talk to people about how that advances their career or how that can be better for them in the long run because they have the advantage of, you know, working closely with people. But this arbitrary, you know, let's all do X because, because we must is not a winning proposition. Yeah. We have about, uh, about four minutes left by my clock. Um, and I wanted to cover two more points quickly because I think they're important. One is the role of technology and analytics, and the other one is rethinking leadership development in this wave of black swans. So can you give us like really high, quick high points on those two, two ideas? Yeah, sure. So, so I do think we've been on a march, you know, with analytics, but that also assumes that you have the technology to be able to do that. You know, we, we have some tools, a lot of organizations do, you know, AI driven platforms that can marry human capital metrics with financial data that has been disclosed publicly or available through other sources. You know, those are the kinds of things that people need to be expected to master 
so that they can have a conversation that's couched in, here's what the predictive analytics tell us. And then they can you know, uh, try to garner support because they have that. I think what happens sometimes is that we have a lot of people who may not have the same level of comfort with analytics. And so that's why you see folks who are non, uh, not traditional HR folks coming in to uh, bolster some of the analytics conversations. But I think that's not a bad thing. You need people who have the people experience to work with people who can, you know, glean insights from the analytics work and together probably make a more solid, more reasoned, maybe more successful decision. But that is upon us. And that assumes that you have the technology and that assumes that you can either upskill um, some of your folks, reskill them or, or bring in new talent that, you know, has analytics in, in its uh in its wheelhouse. Sure. Uh, and the other one was rethinking leadership development. Yeah. So, so we have we have leaders now who, I think, when when you are uh, developing leaders, as I did for for decades on Wall Street, you have to be thoughtful about um, helping people be empathetic and and other centered, even under the, you know, the toughest of conditions. You know, I don't want to you know, negate the, the good work of Daniel Goldman, for example, you know, about EQ. And, and But I think that, that we have to hold people accountable for that. We have to hold managers accountable for being an empathetic leader, for retaining talent, for developing talent, and, be, and making his or her function, uh, you know, a magnet for talent. I think also that um, managers need real support and real specific training on how to be effective either face-to-face -face or in a hybrid uh, or, or in a completely remote environment. In my opinion, the hybrid environment is the toughest one. How do you make sure that it still remains inclusive, that it remains fair and equitable, that um, people uh, who may want to be remote because it reduces some of the microaggressions of the workplace, how do you make a, a, a leader sensitive to that and make sure that um, they're not predisposed to selecting someone for a project, for example, just because they happen to be in the in, sitting there with them in the conference room. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've got to make sure that if, if, for example, many women are still not returning to the workplace, particularly women of color, because childcare or elder care is an issue. Also, crime is an issue. Also, cost. You know, if you look at the uh, the reflections in in many organizations, uh, many women are uh, perhaps. Um, there's, there isn't pay equity yet. And so inflation and a variety of factors make it more difficult to be in the office. But many women choose not to come back because the microaggressions are lesser if they're remote. Okay, that's great. But organizations need to be thinking about how do we make sure that we don't lose the last 20 years of advancement of women and people of color in the leadership ranks if they remain remote? How are we going to figure that out? And that I'm, I, I, my friend, I don't think has been. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here foreseeing a day where companies are going to start having to offer career path, you know, sort of forecast about how to help, how to be a, a successful remote employee or a successful hybrid employee at company X, because they're going to have a whole career ladder of those folks who suddenly have, you know, maybe want to do something different five years from now. Okay. Um, okay. 
fun times for sure. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much. It was great having you on again as a guest. And I hope we get to continue to have these conversations periodically because I always find them very enlightening and really appreciate the knowledge you share and, and as I said, the work that you guys do at the conference board. So thanks for being a guest once again on Drive Through HR. I am going to go ahead and end the recording, but before I do, um, can you share where people might reach out to you if they would be have any interest in doing so? Oh, of course. Well, let me also say I enjoy our conversations, and I was um, I'm always pleased to be invited. So I hope I hope that continues. But okay. um, so so that's that's the very first thing uh, I would say that I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I can also be reached at um, Rebecca dot Ray at TCB dot org. And happy to uh, happy to continue the conversation. And just thanks for the opportunity, Mike. You take care. Absolutely. You too.